Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to be your host for the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super excited today because we are continuing our Christmas celebration with part one of my top ten Christmas Carol movies of all time. I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion of these classic movies. For a little background, I grew up watching this story unfold in various different ways from the day after Thanksgiving until New Year's Eve. Basically, my dad uh, watches as many editions of this story as he can get his hands on, and so I've been immersed and exposed to this story for a long time, and it has become very important to me as well, passed down from my father. As you know, this year I am portraying the ghost of Christmas present in a community theater production of A Christmas Carol. We are going into our last weekend of the show uh, this weekend, and I couldn't be happier to be involved in this production. I love the people that I get to work with, and I love to bring this powerful message of redemption to the stage. But as I said, I'm excited to unfold this list for you, and maybe there will be some that will surprise you. Maybe there will be some that you've never watched before or considered that can brighten up your holiday season. I really like uh, the fact that Charles Dickens wrote from the place that he was. They always say that that is the power of an author is to write about things they know, and certainly Charles Dickens did that. So as I said, I'm excited to share that with you in a little bit. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, I'm starting out in the world of sports. And as you know, uh, last week I talked about Michigan capturing the Big Ten title and how exciting that was. But this week I stumbled on the post game comments of some involved in the Wolverines at the trophy presentation, and I thought they were worth sharing now. Coach Harbaugh, back-to-back Big Ten champions. How's that sound? It sounds great. You know, all credit goes uh, to these men up here. We talked about it. it's not a grim mission. It's been a happy mission. But more than that, it's been a godly mission. And uh, we thank our Lord and Savior. Coach, I've been around this team now for a number of years covering you guys. We called six of your games this, this year. And I can tell you that there is an uncommon bond and chemistry amongst these men on this team. Where does that come from? It, it really comes from them. A lot of people talk about culture, but it's it's beyond culture. It's a brotherhood amongst the staff, amongst the players, and uh, again, that's what it is. I mean, it's love. It's love about been perseverance. It's been great love, and uh, we're happy to be back to back champs. Ronnie Bell, get in here, Ronnie. Coach, you had a couple of guys have incredible performances tonight. One of them was Ronnie. Ronnie, I'm going to get you. Coach, thank you. Congratulations. Ronnie, you guys have persevered. You yourself had persevered. You had that knee injury a year ago. You come back here, and now you and your teammates have done something that no other Michigan team has done. You're 13-0. and Yes, sir. Tell me how you feel. It's just a blessing, man. This team is battle-tested, and these guys, man, from everybody in the program, everybody in the building, everybody's worked so hard. 
And to see it all coming full circle like this is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful blessing. That's Congra- congratulations, bud. Thank you so much. Now I want to bring up to present the Grange Griffin MVP trophy, the trophy's namesake, and the only two-time Heisman winner in the history of the Heisman trophy, Archie Griffin. Archie. Tonight's MVP of the 2022 Big Ten Championship game is Donovan Edwards. teammates you watched one of your own go down against illinois real key piece of this team one of your leaders your teammate your running back mate blake Corum. ever since then you've stepped up over 200 yards last week against the buckeyes over 180 yards tonight in the championship game tell me what it means to you to step up and do what you've done in the absence of blake Corum. First and foremost, I couldn't do this without my Lord and Savior. You know, I'm blessed to be able to do. I'm blessed to be able to do this in the name of the Lord and praise His name. Uh, after this big time game that we just played, we back to back champions. Uh, shout out to Blake Corm. Uh, Blake Corm is the best running back in college football. He deserved. He deservedly. Uh, he deservedly needs the Heisman. He deservedly. If he didn't get hurt, he would easily won the Heisman. So shout out to Blake Corm. This for you, baby. So I just really appreciated those comments. I think it's great that Harbaugh's Wolverines seem to be about something that is higher than football. And I just love the fact that they took the opportunity at the post game presentation to give glory to the Lord Jesus and also that Donovan Edwards uh, even as he's been running as a beast in the last several games he still acknowledged Blake Corum as the best running back in college football and gave him a lot of props for his success as the backup running back so I'm really excited to see how Michigan does against Texas Christian University in the playoffs and I couldn't be happier to be a Michigan Wolverines fan at this time. The next story I want to bring to your attention is some comments from an English teacher that are surprising, although not so surprising given the environment in which we now live about the white supremacy of the English language, apparently. I teach high school English and whoo, the white supremacy runs deep. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how we write essays. Start with an introduction that includes a thesis. Always cite your sources. Use transition words like however and therefore. These are all made up rules. They're arbitrary. They were created by Westerners in power. In Linguistic Justice, April Baker Bell calls this the language of respectability or the language of power. There is nothing more 2022 to me than a high school English and literature teacher saying that using a thesis and words like however and therefore are white supremacist when she is in fact white. Granted, college professors have said two plus two equals four is racist also, so I guess everything 
is just racist. Breathing is now racist. So just be aware of that in the American education system, I guess. You honestly cannot make this crap up anymore. Homeschool your kids. I agree with the presenter of this video that homeschooling is the best option for the education of your children. And this is another example of it. This teacher, I think, is crazy. A couple of years ago, I heard someone reference the phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I really feel like this is another example of that. Rather than lifting up the underprivileged, the uh, black youth, if you will, and saying, you can be better, I can teach you to be better, I can teach you to better your vocabulary, I can teach you to be better in all these other areas, an English teacher decides instead to say that good grammar, good diction, is an example of racism and white supremacy. And we wonder why we are stuck where we are as a culture. We need to realize that the beauty of America is that everybody has an opportunity to be better and that bettering yourself is not an example of white supremacy, but is an example of the greatness of America that anyone can decide to be better. So I, I hope that we will keep our eyes open and continue to be on our knees in prayer for this great nation because we need it now more than ever. All these stories that are coming out week after week that feel like satire, but actually are not, is just amazing. There was a time when you could read a Babylon Bee article and realize that it was satire and just laugh at it and have fun. But I, I've seen how the Babylon Bee has actually been putting out less satire, it seems, in a time when life itself is crazier than any satire. So I think it's important for us to realize where we are and to cling to the truth with everything we have and to continue to speak out for the things that are good and right and proper. And I'm here to tell you that having good English and having an appreciation for our language and ha having great diction and presenting yourself in a polished way is not a bad thing, but is instead something that is sorely needed in our country today. Before we dig into the top 10 film versions of A Christmas Carol of all time, according to my list, I thought it would be important for us to hear a little bit of background on its author, Mr. Charles Dickens. In 1843, Charles Dickens was 31 years old and in serious financial trouble. He had spent a great deal of money during his recent tour of America, and now, back in England, his wife Kate was pregnant with their fifth child. Though Dickens had already written successful books like Oliver Twist and The Old Curiosity Shop, the sales of his latest novel, Martin Chuzzlewit, were declining rapidly. His publishers had decreased his monthly pay and he was forced to borrow money against his insurance policies. Dickens needed to write something that would sell and he was to find his inspiration in an unlikely source. 
In the spring of 1843, Dickens read a parliamentary report on child labour. The document featured thousands of pages of oral testimony from child workers, some as young as five, who worked gruelling industrial jobs. Because Dickens had worked 10-hour days in a boot-blacking factory as a child, the plight of the exploited children resonated strongly with the author. Child labour had been one of the many negative results of the Industrial Revolution, which had transformed England and much of Europe and the United States during the 19th century. The introduction of the steam engines powered by coal allowed for factory machines to manufacture products in massive quantities. A class of industrialists, merchants and shipowners accumulated most of the wealth, while the working classes toiled long hours for little pay, working in small spaces with hot and dangerous machinery. As more and more people moved to the cities for work, urban areas grew populated and overcrowded. Wages were low and many families were forced to send their children to work in the factories and mines. In 1834, a poor law was introduced. The law stipulated that those unable to care for themselves could stay in workhouses. However, these dwellings usually contained substandard living conditions. Many people instead turned to crime out of necessity. Those who were caught were sent to prisons and often put to work in gruelling ways. Victorian prisons featured the very first treadmills, which prisoners walked on to generate energy for grain mills or water pumps. At this festive season of the year, Mr Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Are there no prisons, asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down his pen again. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then, said Scrooge. So I found this clip very interesting in that it laid out the backdrop for what inspired Charles Dickens to write A Christmas Carol. He had worked as a child laborer and he was concerned about the proliferation of child labor in his culture. I think we often think of The Christmas Carol as a period piece and surely it is. But when it was written in 1843, it was the modern day Life. It was things that were going on around Dickens, and he wanted to speak out against it. Uh, as a matter of fact, he actually called it a sledgehammer. And it kind of reminds me, in a way, of Uncle Tom's Cabin, because one of the things that Abraham Lincoln said when he met Harriet Beecher Stowe, he said, oh, so you're the little lady that started this great war. So obviously the Civil War was about more than just slavery, but Harriet Beecher Stowe being willing to lay out the plight of slaves so um, eloquently and so truly in the pages of Uncle Tom's Cabin caused people to really uh, rethink and reevaluate the practice of slavery. And I think in, in many similar ways, A Christmas Carol uh, did that for the era and the place where Charles Dickens was. And he definitely draws from his own experiences in his work, um, definitely in David Copperfield, which he calls his most autobiographical work, but also in A Christmas Carol. So this next clip is a little bit more on the specifics of 
the style and the way that he wrote his ghostly little book, A Christmas Carol. In October 1843, Dickens took a long walk after attending a charity fundraising event in Manchester. It was there he conceived of the idea of a Christmas carol, which he proceeded to write hastily over the six weeks that followed. A Christmas Carol drew heavily on the Gothic genre, which was highly popular in Victorian England. Gothic texts featured eerie and mysterious atmospheres and often incorporated criminal, supernatural or romantic elements. Other conventions of the genre included flawed protagonists, strange visions, omens and nightmares. The settings of Gothic stories were also important, and often took place in atmospheric and isolated locations like castles and graveyards. Ghost stories were a particularly popular form of Gothic fiction and were often filled with flickering candles, strange noises, shadowy houses and malevolent spirits. These stories tapped into Victorian society's widespread fascination with the supernatural. Mediums were in great demand, holding seances where spirits were summoned, and furniture was seen to move or float. Spirit photography was also in vogue in the latter half of the 19th century and relied on photographic tricks to depict ghostly apparitions. Dickens also significantly chose to set his story during the Christmas season. The holiday had its roots in the pagan winter solstice festival known as Yule, an event filled with feasting, drinking, sacrifice and increased supernatural activity. Dickens' story not only enhanced the association between Christmas time and the spiritual world, it would also help lay the foundation for the modern Christmas holiday. From the Middle Ages, Christmas grew to be celebrated on the 25th of December and associated with the birth of Christ. Festivals and church services were held annually in its honour. Yet by the 19th century, many of the holiday's traditions, like Christmas carols, had declined in popularity. For much of the population of England, Christmas was little more than a two-day reprieve from gruelling industrial life. The Christmas holiday began to undergo a gradual transformation following Queen Victoria's ascension to the throne in 1837. Her husband, Prince Albert, brought over the tradition of the Christmas tree from his native Germany in 1840. When an engraving was published in 1848 featuring the Queen, the Prince and their children decorating their tree, the Christmas tree became immediately fashionable. Three years later, Sir Henry Cole began selling the first Christmas cards in his art shop in London for one shilling each. Then, in 1847, a confectioner invented the first Christmas crackers. However, it was arguably the publication of A Christmas Carol on the 19th of December 1843 that had the greatest impact on the public's perception of Christmas time. The book was an immediate success, and its first print run sold all 6,000 copies in less than a week. More than 15,000 had been sold by the year's end. The book touched its readers and helped imbue Christmas with the values of charity, family, generosity and gratitude. 
Christmas carols saw a resurgence in popularity following their appearance in the book. To this day, A Christmas Carol remains a beloved seasonal favourite, both for its eerie narrative and humanitarian message. So I just thought that was very interesting to hear about what motivated Charles Dickens to write this story in the style in which he did, uh, writing uh, about the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and setting it at Christmas time, and really opening people's eyes to the blessedness of the Christmas season, if celebrated properly, was kind of an exciting thing. I find it very interesting that he wrote it in six weeks. I know what it's like to be motivated on a project and to get through it at a very quick pace when you have a focus and you're zeroed in on it. And so I really appreciated that from a writer's perspective. I read in another place uh, that he had self-published this book because his publishers had lost faith in him. Apparently his previous book Martin Chuzzlewit hadn't sold very well, and so he started with a self-publishing run of 6,000 copies, and as you heard in that clip, they sold very quickly, and by the end of the year, they had sold 15,000 copies. Now, I'm not sure from that narrative at what point he was picked up again by a publisher, but I would imagine that it was fairly quickly uh, because success breeds notice. And so I just thought those were exciting insights as we dig into A Christmas Carol today. So I believe over the last couple of years, I've done top tens. And this year, I've decided to do it with the movie A Christmas Carol because, as I said, I've grown up watching a lot of versions and seeing a lot of different perspectives on the story. So I'm excited to dig into this with you today and next week. But before we do that, I want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from the book A Christmas Carol, and it says, Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more, and to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. And that is actually a summation of Scrooge's character after his redemption at the end of the novel, and I thought that it was a good way to kick off this celebration of Christmas Carol editions. So where do you start on a list like this? Uh, that can be kind of the most challenging thing is, is where to start because this has been adapted if you count all of the editions, including uh, the shorter ones. It has been adapted many, many times. I've seen estimates anywhere from 50, which is probably low, to 200. Um, and so this is a story that is retold over and over again. Uh, it's retold many times on stage. Uh, this is the third time, uh, that master arts has done it. 
in the almost 20 years that I've been involved with them. So it is a timeless classic that gets retold over and over again. So uh, where do you start when it comes to a top 10 list? I'm going to start with a couple shorter versions because my goal was to focus on full-length feature films, and I couldn't find a total of 10 to round out this list. So I'm starting with a couple shorter versions that I really find endearing. And the first one is Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, what a Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Just another excuse for being lazy. Merry Christmas! And I'm My first exposure to Mickey's Christmas Carol was, I believe, as part of The Wonderful World of Disney, which was on nightly at 7 p.m. when I was growing up as a kid. It followed Little House on the Prairie, and I'm pretty sure since it was an hour-long show, and this Christmas Carol is about 23 minutes, that it was paired with some other Christmas short films to make a full hour of programming but I just remember really enjoying it and enjoying seeing my favorite Disney characters bring this story to life. And it is greatly abridged. There's a lot that's not included, but the things that are included are faithful to the story. And so I really think this is a good jumping off point. One side note that I find interesting is there there's a few voices in here that I am familiar with because of Adventures in Odyssey. I know that Will Ryan and Alan Young, who played Jack Allen and Eugene Meltzner, are in this cast, and I believe Hale Smith appears as well, Hale Smith being the original Mr. Whitaker. So I really would recommend this short but sweet version of A Christmas Carol to start off this list. That is number 10 on my list of the top 10 Christmas carols of all time. This next one will probably surprise you quite a bit uh, because it surprised me. I kind of wrote this one off when I heard that my father uh, was 
purchasing it or had purchased it. But then I sat down and watched it and I actually really enjoyed it. It goes deeper than you might think. And that is my number nine selection. Barbie in a Christmas Carol. Mattel Entertainment presents Barbie in her first Christmas movie. Barbie in a Christmas Carol, an all-new DVD coming November 2008. In this heartwarming comedy, Barbie shares the tale of Eden Starling, a Victorian singing star and hilarious diva. But selfish Eden and her snooty cat Chuzzlewit ruin Christmas for all the theater's performers. That night, Eden takes a fantastical journey with three very unusual visitors. Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Along the way, Eden learns that Christmas is a season of giving and joy. Laugh and sing along to your favorite carols with an all-new holiday classic that your entire family will enjoy year after year. Barbie in a Christmas Carol. Coming to DVD November 2008. This version is a little over an hour. Uh, Barbie tells the story of Eden Starling. So they don't use the characters from A Christmas Carol, but a lot of the elements are here. And I really liked this story, and I really felt the path to redemption from a very selfish entertainer who basically holds her employees captive to someone who learns the meaning of Christmas and becomes a sweet and kind individual when she realizes the effect or the potential effect that she could have on others because of her actions. So Barbie in a Christmas Carol is my surprise number nine overall pick. So I would encourage you once again, check that one out again. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I wrote it off initially, but I changed my mind after watching it and I enjoy watching it at least once a year. Barbie in a Christmas Carol, number nine on my list. So number eight is kind of a surprise for its ranking, not a surprise that it's here on this list. I will tell you that it could be higher, except for the fact that it was much scarier than I expected it to be. And that is Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol, uh, He was Scrooge and the Three Spirits in this edition for Disney, directed by Robert Zemeckis in 
given a second chance to get your life right. This holiday season, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future will give one man that chance. This November, Walt Disney Pictures and Image Movers Digital invite you to experience the classic tale like you've never seen it before in Disney Digital 3D and IMAX 3D. Christmas Carol. Again, this is a very well done version. Uh, Jim Carrey in 2009 for Disney. Uh, This is done very much in the style of Polar Express, uh, which means that in this case, as well as with the Polar Express, the live human actors actually acted out these scenes with little computer modules on their bodies, and then those were made into animated uh, scenes for the purposes of this production. And as I said, I probably would have ranked this a little higher on my list, but there were some pretty scary sequences within this version, which make it very hard for me to recommend for whole families to watch. Specifically, I noticed the sequence with ignorance and want where they went from little children to adults that were pretty scary. Uh, And so that is why I rank it number eight, but it is a solid retelling of the story and very aesthetically pleasing. Uh, The cinematography on it is great. And so I recommend it for probably older children 13 and up uh, to be a part of your holiday celebration. Again, I think it's a faithful retelling of the story. And I think Jim Carrey gives uh, a great performance. I think it's a unique perspective to have him portray all the ghosts because it's him they're dealing with. Remember the ghost of Christmas past says, I'm the ghost of your past. And so the ghost of Christmas present and future are the same. They're the ghost of his present and his future. So I think it's kind of interesting to have them kind of manifested as uh, representations or caricatures of himself. And you actually do see that in the film at different points. So I really liked that perspective. So number eight on my all-time list is A Christmas Carol starring Jim Carrey, which came out in 2009. So my next selection is actually a bonus selection. We're going to take a little bit of a break from my top 10 and share with you Ebby starring Susan Lucci. Uh, There have been a few times when women have stepped into the role of Scrooge, and so I wanted to share a couple of those with you on this list. I'll share another one next week. This one was for the Lifetime Channel in 1995. And 
I thought it was a very interesting reinterpretation of that story. Ah, the holiday season. Merry Christmas. The joy. <laughs> the goodwill. You're fired. The best time to bring out the worst in Ebby Scrooge. I gave Santa's pink slip this year to go with his red suit, ho, ho, ho. When it came to Christmas spirit... Spare me. Ebby just gave up the ghost. I sell Christmas, Roberta. I don't buy it. Until... Jake! A ghost scared the dickens right out of her. You know, the price of everything and the value of nothing. And sent her on a spirited journey. We're Christmas X. You just come along for the ride. To find the true meaning of Christmas. Good Lord. Come back. Why do you show me this? Take it away. I'm Christmas present. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> She's a mean old prune face to make you come in today. And I hate her. You're not very popular out in the world, are you? No, I don't seem to be. You're the spirit of Christmases yet to come. No! Why show me all this if I'm all past hope? It's the classic Christmas story. Things can change. People can change. For a changing world. Welcome home. Susan Lucci is... What's gotten into you? The Christmas spirit. Abby from ABC Distribution Company. This was a very fun interpretation. Obviously, it doesn't follow the original story extremely closely because it's modernized and it's about a female version of Scrooge. But I really felt the emotion of the scenes. I think Susan Lucci gives a very vulnerable performance and you really feel for her, especially when she's in her past and reliving some of those things that she would rather forget and you also see the full redemption of the character at the end. So I really like the range and the emotion that she brought to the character. So that is Ebby, and it was 1995 when it came out, and it was for the Lifetime channel. And I was able to find it on YouTube. I'm sure it's available on DVD or digital download in some places. So again, if you have the opportunity to watch that one, I would definitely encourage you to add that to your collection and add that to your tradition of watching A Christmas Carol each year. My next uh, one that I would have in my top ten is number seven. And my dad said the other day that this is the best non-traditional version of A Christmas Carol, and I would have to agree. This is an American Christmas Carol starring Henry Winkler, and it came out in 1979, so the year that I was born. What attracted me to The Christmas Carol? I was doing uh, Happy Days, and I was approached by a Len Hill, who was the executive at that time. Len Hill asked me to be Scrooge. And at the same time, uh, Gary Smith from Smith Hemian, uh, one of the most successful variety uh, producer directors uh, in television, was part of the production team for this American Christmas Carol. I ran 
away from the project as fast as I possibly could. It scared me to death. I thought, who do you think you are trying to be Scrooge when I grew up watching Alistair Sims? It scared me. I can't even begin to tell you how I thought that there was no way I would be able to bring this character to life. Gary Smith came to my house, my very first house that I ever bought in my whole life, which was on Rec Law in Studio City, and walked around the living room and tried to convince me that I would be okay. And then I thought to myself, okay, so you can make up excuses and not take the challenge and be an idiot, or... You can go down in flames or you can soar like an eagle. This is what you're trained to do. Why don't you just shut up and do it? And I'm telling you with every fiber in my being, uh, it, it was the most difficult yes. And, and as an actor... When you, as soon as I say yes to a part, I think, well, I can't act anymore. I don't have any idea how to do this. I don't know why I said yes. So this was the most difficult yes, maybe in my entire career. So this is an interesting version in the fact that it takes place in America. As you know, A Christmas Carol takes place in England. It's a very British story. So they brought it over to America. They changed all the names of the principal people, and they told an American version of this story. And I really appreciate Henry Winkler in this movie. I think he does a fine job of conveying all the emotions within the story. I really think that it is a very compelling modern retelling of this story. And so I would wholeheartedly recommend that you watch this version. And, you know, if you watch any of these versions and you want to send me feedback on what you think about them, I would certainly appreciate receiving it. Um, but this one came out in 1979, as I said, and the modern retelling was intriguing. I think it's interesting that he ends up working at a furniture factory with the equivalent to Mr. Fezziwig. And there's even a mention of Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, which is significant on a couple levels. Number one, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and so I have a lot of love for that area. But also, my dad worked in office furniture for 45 years uh, before recently retiring. So I thought it was interesting that there was a mention of office furniture and also of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which, if you don't know, used to be called Furniture City. And there was actually a very neat, compelling, interactive exhibit um, at the Grand Rapids Public Museum on Furniture City. Um, they still have an exhibit, but it's not quite as compelling as it was in the old museum. Uh, but it's still worth a look, and it's very interesting how furniture defined Grand Rapids back in that day. It's kind of disheartening to me, actually, that we've become more of beer city and less about furniture in the modern Grand Rapids. But back in the early days of Grand Rapids, furniture was definitely a main staple 
of our state economy. All right, well, we've come to our last version of A Christmas Carol for today, and that is number six. This one is unique in that it is not a film version. Rather, it is a professional reading of various portions of A Christmas Carol. So Marley was dead. He's been dead seven years. Now Dickens tells us the fearful story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Once upon a time, of all the good days of the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy with all. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been bright all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of neighboring offices, like ruddy smears on the palpable brown air. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that it was the first intimation he had of his approach. Bah! Humbug! Christmas? A humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry, you're poor enough? Come then, what right of you to be dismal? What reason of you to be morose? You're rich enough. Bah! Humbug! Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips, should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle! Nephew! Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it may do you. Much good it has ever done you. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said he would see him in... Yes, indeed he did. He went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in that extremity first. But why? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. Good afternoon. His nephew left the room without an angry word, notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. So there is just a little snippet of that reading, which was called Bah Humbug, the story of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and I really enjoyed it. I think my first exposure to it was probably during a pledge drive on PBS. PBS always had this special programming, 
that they would pull out for Pledge Drive. I remember that one, and I also remember Anne of Green Gables starring Megan Follows and getting exposed to that uh, during a Pledge Drive for PBS as well. So this one is a little bit tough to find. You can find it on archive.org, and I will include the link for this one specifically on the blog uh, because it is difficult to find elsewhere. But that is my number six selection for the top 10 Christmas Carol editions of all time. So the bottom five of my top 10 Christmas Carols in review is number 10, Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983. Number nine, Barbie in a Christmas Carol, 2008. Number eight, A Christmas Carol from 2009 starring Jim Carrey from Walt Disney Pictures. I gave you a bonus of Susan Lucci as Evie from Lifetime in 1995. Then number seven is An American Christmas Carol starring Henry Winkler from the year 1979. And finally, number six is Bah Humbug, the story of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, starring James Earl Jones and Martin Sheen. So that is the first part of my top ten list of the best Christmas Carol film versions of all time. So next week we will follow up with the top five. Really excited to dig into those with you. Please feel free to share with me your favorite Christmas Carol editions in the meantime. If there is one that I don't have on my list, I may include it as a bonus next week. So feel free to let me know what that one might be. You can send me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash speaking for him. That's speakpipe.com slash speaking the number for him. Or you can find that same audio link on my blog You can send me an email. You can send me a message by finding Andrew Gomison on Facebook. A lot of ways that you can get in touch with me here at the podcast. I hope that you are having a great Christmas season. I hope that you are remembering to put Jesus at the forefront of your Christmas thoughts. And I hope that you have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.